All right. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, guys. You guys good? You awake? It's so weird. It was, it feels kind of chilly right now, but I know once the sun peeks out from the clouds, it's going to be hot and you'll be thankful for the canopy. So you'll have to go between like putting your coats on and off for the next half hour or so. It's so bizarre. Anyways, good morning. Hope you're doing uh, well. Hey, before we, we're going to dive right into the teaching, but be, right before we do that, I do want to give you a little uh, building update uh, with the with our building hunt. So last week we talked a bit about it. What we're going to do is we're going to give you an update each week just to kind of keep you apprised, especially because we are coming to uh, the end uh, of our time. Well, next eight weeks is our last eight weeks here at Pepper Tree. And we want to keep keep you apprised of what's going on. So so that you are in the know, but more so so that you can be praying with, as a church family, uh, what, exa- you know, what exactly is going on and what we're uh, experiencing and battling through. So last time we had talked, we gave you an update, and we talked on the video as, as well this week on social media, if you guys have not ch- had a chance to watch it. Uh, but we put an offer in on a building, uh, and the, an- the landlord went with another offer that was more of a traditional uh, tenant that didn't have to deal with, you know, rehabbing and conditional use permits and, you know, hundreds of people coming in and out on a weekend and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then that fell through. So they came back to us, actually. And so we had a conversation with them. Here's what we'd be praying for right now. Uh, we're kind of on the edge of whether this building is going to work or not because of uh, a couple zoning issues, uh, one involving sprinklers. Uh, and so we're ha- trying to figure out, is it viable to get a conditional use permit, a, a CUP, uh, without which we can't uh, you know, meet there per city. Uh, but we need sprinklers in order to do so. So we're approaching some of those hurdles this week to see if it's a viable option and if it's a, a wise use of the uh, funds, the finances that God has stewarded the church with. And so we'll keep you apprised of that. Now, here's why this is important is because if we don't get this building, which again, it's 50-50 right now. If we don't get this building, there's no other option on the table right now. And uh, so as far as what's going to happen after June, I have no idea. Uh, Some of you guys that have read the Old Testament are familiar, maybe grew up in the church and know the story of Abraham walking up with Isaac to make the sacrifice at the top of the mountain. And the whole time he's saying, God, are you going to provide a sacrifice? You're going to provide a sacrifice. And at the very last minute, God does so. And so we're praying, God, would you provide a building? Would you provide a building? Because after June, uh, we are all going to meet in my backyard. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to figure something out. So we'll keep you apprised. But how we can be praying right now is if the Lord wants us to have this building, that he would take down the hurdles uh, to do so. And if we're not supposed to have this building, that this would be a clear thing. And we would uh, know kind of what to do next. Uh, along with those lines, uh, Eric, one of our elders, is going to be leading a prayer Initiative. So we're going to pray uh, for a couple days leading up into service a few weeks from now. And so you'll hear that. We will sign up for 30-minute slots as individuals to pray for different topics uh, in the church and in the community and in the world. And so we want to be a church that prays. And that's going to lead up into service on Sunday morning. One of those prayer focuses will be uh, building and location. Uh, there will be all sorts of other things to pray for as well. So we just want to be a church that just that actually prays and believes God for miracles and not just uh, attend services and sing songs together, right? So, okay, uh, if you have any questions, reach out, catch us after service. We're totally transparent. Uh, whatever questions you have, we're going to do our best to answer them. 
Uh, so that's just all the information that we have. We're not trying to be coy. Uh, we just literally don't have any more information. So we're, we're, we're as excited and nervous as you are, nervous-sided, to see how God provides. And so we'll see what happens together. So with that, uh, we're going to hop into the teaching. Uh, Luke chapter 17, verse uh, 11. And there's actually quite a bit to unpack here. So I'm going to maybe even talk faster than usual if that's possible. Uh, but we're going to go through a, a quite a bit of information that I think is helpful, hopefully will be helpful for us. It says, uh, verse 11, it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Right? So Galilee was a highly Jewish area, Samaria was obviously a highly Samaritan area. He's in the border between uh, those two. Verse 12, it says, As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So he's walking in this border area between uh, kind of this no man's land between Galilee and Samaria. And along come these ten men who have leprosy. Now the problem with leprosy is you cannot come in contact. It's almost like... Uh, you know, social distancing to the extreme, they couldn't come in contact with anybody that was n healthy, I guess. So if you had leprosy, you were pulled away from your family, pulled away from community, and you had to go to a leper community. Or if you wanted to wander, you could, but you had to yell unclean, unclean, so that people who were healthy would know to steer clear of you. So you have these 10 men who are at a distance from Jesus and they're yelling out in a loud voice so Jesus could hear them because they're so far away and they say, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, one of the 10, uh, when he saw that he was healed, immediately came back praising God in a loud voice he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then it says, and he was a Samaritan. We'll talk about that in a bit. Verse 17, Jesus asked, a little confused, were not all 10 cleansed? We're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? If all 10 were cleansed, if all 10 had its generous gift given to them, their life changed, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? except this foreigner. Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And I want, to put your, I want you to put yourself in the position of someone with leprosy. You, are, you have been pulled away. You contracted it. You started noticing maybe that you didn't have feeling. Maybe you burned yourself on the stove and you're wondering why it didn't hurt. Maybe you're shampooing your hair and you're feeling like, I don't actually feel my hair in my hands. What's going What's going on? And then you realize, I, I think I have leprosy. You go to the priest, you tell the priest that you have leprosy, and right away, immediately, you are taken away from your spouse, from your kids, taken away from your job, and you are sent out of town. This is this group of men. And then along comes this rabbi who heals you. And you have these 10 outcasts, 10 who cry out, unclean, unclean, and Jesus heals them, yet there's only one that's thankful. Now, you got to understand, 90% of the, this group received a gift, or 100% received a gift. 90% of them received the gift and then went on, enjoying the gift, but forgetting the gift giver. And I think it's easy 
for us to get on these other nine lepers and go, oh, how could they not show gratitude? But what I want us to talk about today is the fact that I think we do that all the time. That we like to see ourselves as the one who came back and expressed gratitude, but I think the vast majority of the time, we are like the nine that go on experiencing blessings and rarely go back to say thank you. Thank you to the people in our lives. Thank you to the God who made everything possible for us. It's amazing how these 10 individuals cried out to God, Master, Jesus, Rabbi, have pity, have mercy on us. And we're the same way when it hits the fan in our lives, when we find ourselves in a situation far beyond ourselves, all of us, all of us cry out to God, surrender to God. God, would you help me? If you help me pass this test I didn't study for, if you help me get out of this situation, if you heal this person, if you provide financially for this situation, I'll serve you the rest of, our, of my life. Right? How many of you guys have prayed things like that? Then what happens? The dust settles. Things work out. You move on to another season. God answers your prayer. And we forget. We forget. See, this is a story of healing, but it's, there's other stories of healing that really camp on the process of healing. What this story does is it briefly talks about the healing and really camps on the reactions to the healing. This man, this Samaritan man, was the first and apparently only one to express gratitude. And once again, what's so interesting about this situation is the hero is not the ethnic majority. The hero is not a Jew. The, the hero is not someone who has power and authority in the area. The hero of, of the story, the one that expressed gratitude, was someone with the wrong skin color, was someone from the wrong neighborhood, a Samaritan that grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, but yet he has the right heart. And this Samaritan understood that usually, usually if you don't thank God right away, if you don't express gratitude right away, you most likely never will, right? If you don't express gratitude right away, it's not like you're going to get to it later. Most likely you don't express it at all. About 15 years ago, there was a Boston consultant reading with, uh, meeting with some graduates of an Ivy League school. Uh, and he, he was, he, before that, he had done some interviews with uh, some employers and about what are the struggles you guys are facing as you're hiring this generation. At this point, it was millennials, right? Many of us are in, in the crowd as, are millennials. Actually, JP and I were driving in and talking about He's a millennial, uh, barely. But he's a millennial at heart. I'm an Xer, barely, but I'm not really a millennial. I'm, I'm kind of in this tweener generation. But this Boston consultant is meeting in the heart of the millennial generation. And he's going, I've talked to some of the employers that you want to get hired by, and they, they have this word to describe your generation. So far, the employees they've seen graduate and join uh, their ranks, and it starts with the letter E. And what do you think it is? And these individuals are like, energetic, excited, enthusiastic. And he's like, no, no, it's not any of those things. It's this word, entitled, entitled. And what's so wild is if you just Google millennials entitled, you'll find all sorts of studies and articles, right? And before you Xers and builders and boomers, you know, self-proclaimed greatest generation, before you guys start pointing the finger at the millennials as, yeah, right, they are entitled. Okay, who raised them? All right, just to be clear, who, who raised them? Also, 
I don't think millennials are any more entitled than any other generation. I think all of us. And I think all of us, especially here in Orange County, have to fight that. See, what entitlement says is I deserve that. I want that, and I deserve that because I breathe. I want that, and I deserve that. And this idea of I want that and I deserve that, is, it ruins marriages. So I'm not happy with this. I want that, and I deserve that. This idea robs joy because you can't enjoy what you have because you want that. And not only do you want that, you deserve that. Entitlement makes you objectify others as a means to get what you want. Because if you want that and you deserve that and you're not getting that, then if you're on my team, you're either helping me or you're getting in the way of helping me. If you're on my team, you're either helping me get to what I want and what I deserve or you're in the way. You're dragging me down. You're an anchor, keeping me from getting what I want. Entitlement makes us objectify people. Entitlement makes peace impossible. Entitlement makes peace impossible. If you don't have peace in your heart, if you constantly find yourself striving, constantly looking over the fence, I wonder if I just had that, my guess is there's some discontent or some entitlement in your heart. When entitlement reigns in our heart, we have a transactional relationship with God because in the same way that we objectify people, we objectify God. It's not a matter of surrender, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. It's a matter of, God, here's my list, man. Here's what I want. Bless my business. Bless my relationship. Bless, here's the things I want. And I deserve to have those things. So why aren't you letting me have these things? See, in order to have deep joy, in order to have deep peace, in order to have deep relationships, you need to have the opposite of entitlement. You need to have this word called contentment. Contentment. And it's so hard. Here's what contentment says. If entitlement says, I want that, I deserve that, here's what contentment says. Contentment says, I am blessed. I have enough. I am enough. You're going to hear me say that over and over and over again because I want it to burn in your hearts. I want it to be etched in your hearts. I am blessed. Not I will be blessed when I get this. I will be blessed if this situation changes. Right now, in the middle of all the great things in my life, in the middle of all hard things in my life, in the middle of all the challenges in my life, I am blessed. Not just financially, but in every way. I am blessed. I have enough. Not I will have enough if I get X, Y, and Z. I will have enough if I get the newer version of or the bigger version of. Or I am blessed. And I am enough. I am enough. Not I will be enough if I get this promotion or this thing or this relationship. If I get the corner office, if I get these letters after my name, if I get these awards... If I get this applause, then I will be enough. I am enough right now. Can I tell you, the people that are most important to you, the people that will love you the most, they won't love you more because you get more applause. They won't love you more because you get awards. They won't love you more because you get more stuff. They would tell you you are enough. So when contentment says, I am blessed, I have enough, I am enough, And there's an important idea I want us to really burn into us is don't let what you want rob you of what you have. Is it bad to want things? No. 
And I think a good God wants to bless you in the same way that every parent here wants to bless your kids. You want to take them out for ice cream. Not every time they want it. Not for dinner, right? You can't give them everything that they want because you end up with a spoiled brat. But you want to bless your kid, and God wants to bless you. But in that middle of that desire, don't let what you want rob you of what you have. Ecclesiastes 6, 9, the wisest man ever lived, Solomon said this, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Enjoy what you have instead of, instead of desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. It's better to enjoy what you have, Solomon says. It's better. It's not, okay, I'll put up with it while I wait for the better thing. No, it's better to enjoy what you have over desiring what you don't have. Why? Because I want you to think about what happens in your heart. In your heart, not metaphorically, not 30,000 foot view idea. In your heart, in my heart, what happens when you have a habit of thinking that happiness is just over there? If this was different in my marriage, if this was different in my family, if this was different at work, if this was different at my church, if this was different in my neighborhood, if this was different in my checking account, what happens in your heart when you believe that happiness is just over there, just out of reach? Good things? Peace? Joy? Worship? Contentment? What's the fruit of that heart? Anxiety? Discontent? frustration. See, entitlement creeps in and says, not only is happiness over there, but that thing that's over there, I deserve that. I should have that. They get to have that. Why can't I have that? So Timothy was someone that Paul was mentoring and brought up into leadership. And Paul writes a letter to Timothy. It's aptly titled Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, right standing with God. And then this heart that says, I am blessed, I have enough, I am enough. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You came into this world butt naked, with nothing to your name, and you're going to leave the same way. Everything we're striving for, everything that is robbing us of our peace, robbing us of our joy, everything that's, that's, that's bringing jealousy in our heart, discontent in our heart, you're not going to be able to bring it on the other side of eternity. You're going to leave this place the same way we came in. He goes on to say, for we have food and clothing. We will be content with that. Then he goes on, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And we know this. We know this. But for some reason, we think, oh, yeah, those people, God, man, they are materialistic, right? And here's a weird thing about materialism. But if, if you think through, like, what is materialistic? What is too much to have? It's anybody who has just a little more than you. I'm the right, I'm, I'm not materialistic. I got the right size house. I got the right size giving. I got the right size, right, right model year car. They, they're a little, they have a nicer car. They're materialistic, right? So what he's saying is don't, don't fall in this temptation. Don't want to get rich. And he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money, the worship 
of money, the idolization of money. Money's a great tool. See, money reveals your heart. And the more money you have, the more it reveals who you actually are. Money is a mirror because materialism isn't based on how much you have because we all know people that are extremely wealthy and extremely generous. And we know people who have extremely limited funds and are extremely generous. And we know people who have a lot and they're extremely selfish and materialistic. And we know people who have little and they're extremely selfish and materialistic. Money just makes you more of who you are. But he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Then he ends with this. For you, though, man of God, but you, Timothy, flee from all this. For you, Timothy, don't be like that. This is what a lot of people are doing, but don't do this. Be content. And the problem with contentment is society will never push you there. Society will never help you be more content. Marketing, which is everywhere. It's on billboards and TVs and every screen in our life. It's on social media. It's everywhere. You're talking around your house and Alexa's picking it up and showing you stuff that you need to buy next time you're on the internet, right? It's trippy. But marketing is not based on contentment. You'll never see a billboard that says, your car's fine, chill out, right? You'll never see that. Marketing is based on discontent. Man, what would it be like to have this? Man, can you see yourself in this? New car with a bow on it? Come on, you deserve that. Treat yourself, right? What if you could go on? Now, is this stuff bad? No. But when you feel like you deserve it, when you feel like you need it, when you feel like I'll be happy if I had that, that's where the problem is. See, when you're content, when you have a content heart, when you have this heart that says, I am blessed, not with anything else, but I am blessed, I have enough, and I am enough, then what happens is when God blesses you, it's a gift. When God blesses you, that gift turns into praise, right? When you're like, man, I have enough, and God says, no, I want to I bless you with this. And you're like, I don't deserve that. I don't need that, but thank you. I'll use it. I'll use it. Then the house, the car, the clothes, the whatever, the, 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 the job promotion, whatever, becomes a blessing, not a finally, God. I've been telling you for a long time I needed that. Becomes a blessing, because here's the thing. Blessings that don't turn into praise will always turn into pride. When God blesses you, if you don't turn those into praise, God, thank you for that. It turns into pride. I needed that. I deserve that. Why don't you guys get to have that? Let me show you how I'm better than you. Now, we don't say that stuff out loud because we're Christian. We just think him in our heart. Blessings that don't turn into praise turn into pride. So how do we battle? How do we cultivate contentment in our hearts? How do we combat entitlement in our hearts? There's two ways that we get rid of entitlement out of our hearts. One that you cannot control and one that you can one that you cannot control and one that you can. One that you cannot control is pain. Pain. Loss. Struggle. Right? You lose your job. You get sick. You have messy relationships. Someone hurts you. We go through these situations and we have these little colloquialisms like, oh, that person went through that. I'm glad he got knocked off his, what? High horse. Oh, that, that, that person failed? Good. You know what? He needs a big old slice of humble pie. 
We know these, right? And what do these, what do these mean? We know that when someone only wins, when someone gets everything that they want, when they point at the thing and mom buys the thing, that doesn't usually end up in a really healthy, well-mannered, generous person, right? We know that there's something about pain, about loss, about losing sometimes. And I'm not saying those things always come from God, but there's some, some things that when we go through them, they make us realize that we're fallible, right? They make us realize that we're mortal. They make us realize that the world is much bigger than us. And I would actually say that we are united more through shared pain than through shared success. If we were to say, if we got the whole church together and we said, how many of you guys have gone through bouts of cancer or had a loved one go through a bout of cancer? There'd be a connection there through pain. Other than someone saying, who's got a brand new car? There wouldn't be a connection there in the same way. They were connected through pain in the same way, which is why I think these Samar- or these uh, lepers got together because they were ousted from their communities. And even though they were Jews and Samaritans who would normally never hang out, now they're hanging out together. Why? Through shared pain. I remember my mom telling me, my mom grew up when she was little, little uh, in Seoul, Korea, uh, through actually pretty wealthy family. And then the war hit and they lost everything. And my mom would, and her family, they would go door to door. Uh, begging for food. And there's actually quite a few stories within the church uh, family of, of you guys that you know, came through war, your family came through war, refugees fleeing, um, some really hor- horrendous situations overseas. And I remember my mom telling us these stories and, and then how it played out for my brother and I growing up is we would do stuff like eat chicken wings. My parents love KFC. And we'd eat chicken wings. And my brother and I would go, yeah, we're done with the chicken wing. Like we ate all the meat off the chicken wings. And then my mom would just go, no, no. There's, there's a little strand of meat right there. There's, you could, there's cartilage still on the edge of that chicken wing, right? And some of you guys that have parents like that, you're like, amen, preach. That's the gospel right there. And why, why is that important? Why, I, my brother and I didn't understand it. We are just like, man, you guys are weird. Just buy another chicken wing. It's a dollar. You know what I mean? But why? Because, because my parents went through some pain. To my mom, it wasn't about, I'm raising kids who will eat every last piece of cartilage off chicken forever with, so their friends look at them really weirdly as they get through, go through high school. My mom was like, I remember when that piece of cartilage was a good portion of my dinner as a child. So we're going to take everything that we can. My dad grew up really poor, uh, too, in Japan. And my dad would tell me growing up, to this day, the problem, the reason why I think I've, I've, we, I've gained like COVID-19, right, not the, you know, the pounds, and is because my, my dad would never let me um, leave any rice on the plate. My dad, I remember when I was little, would, would tell me, talk, you know how long it takes uh, for a farmer to grow rice? Now, this is r- ridiculous logic, but for like a six-year-old, it makes complete sense. And my dad goes, how long is it? And I was like, I don't know, like, a, a year? He's like, yeah, a year. So for every piece of rice that you leave on that plate, you are stealing a year from a farmer's life. It's like, oh my gosh, that's like 12, I'm just, someone's going to die 12 years earlier because I left 12 grains of rice on that plate. It doesn't make any sense. But what were they teaching? Out of their pain, they're saying, we're going to appreciate everything that we have, even if it's a little weird. So the first way you get rid of entitlement, you go through pain. Again, you can't control that. 
Second one, this is the one you can control, is gratitude. Gratitude. Now, usually we take Thanksgiving week to talk about gratitude, right? Because that's what you do because it's Thanksgiving. But I don't know a more effective way to cultivate peace. When someone is saying, I, I feel entitlement, I feel discontent, I feel anxiety, I have stress, my first question is always, how are you doing at practicing generosity? How are you doing at practicing gratitude? How are you doing at thanking God for the things that he's given you over and over and over again every day? You need to get a gratitude journal. And what happens is, I don't know another way to cultivate peace, cultivate joy, cultivate contentment than gratitude. And with so much going on right now, there, it's easy more than ever to focus on all the negatives. There's a whole lot broken about the world, guys, and I get that. And this is not sticking your head in the sand and being blind to all the injustice. What I'm saying is that there's a higher way to think about things. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippian church, and the Philippian church was the most persecuted church. Not persecuted because they had to wear masks or persecuted because they couldn't meet indoors. Persecuted like they were dying, being executed. They would meet together, and they would have them get dragged out and executed in front of the other half of the church. True persecution. Yet Paul talks more about joy and gratitude than any other letter to any other church in the church of Philippians. Why? Because the darker it gets, the more important it is that your light be bright. The darker it gets, the more important it is that you're healthy. That you don't let your heart get dark. You don't let your heart get cynical. You don't let your heart get hopeless. You don't let yourself to move inward. What gratitude does, it's about having a healthy heart so that you really can do what we're called to do, which is live by faith to be known by love and be a voice of hope wherever you go. And you can't do that unless you have a heart of gratitude. What gratitude does is gratitude turns whatever you have into enough. Gratitude turns whatever you have into enough. There's this underlying thought in our hearts, I think, that we think that the more we have, having more stuff will give us more gratitude. When we know that's not true, did it work with the last 10 things you bought? Having more stuff doesn't give you gratitude. Having gratitude turns what you have into enough. So here's what I challenge you to do. Don't just feel gratitude, express it. Don't just feel gratitude, express it. Express gratitude to people and do it often. And it's hard for me. Some of you guys that are, you know, encouragers and you're empathetic and it's way easier for you, I'm telling you, this is so hard for me to do. I grew up in a household and so whether nature and nurture, the way I am is if I'm not critiquing you, consider that encouragement, right? Like that's how I was raised, right? But it's not the same thing. Express gratitude to people. Too often we, we wait until someone passes away and then we tell them all these great stories at their funeral, Here's how they changed my life. I remember this time they did this. I'll forever, you know, be changed. I'll never forget the time they pulled me aside, they did this. They, they texted me this at just the right time. The problem is you never told them that. And my, my guess would be that if you were to list off people that you are so grateful for, they have no idea. They're there going, am I making any sort of difference at all? Am I making any sort of change in people's life at all? 
The very people that you admire are constantly battling imposter syndrome. So express gratitude. Don't wait. Don't wait to their funeral. Tell them now. Express gratitude to people and then express gratitude to God. When you feel entitlement growing, when you feel anxiety growing, when you feel discontent growing, express your gratitude to God. Just start with, God, I thank you that, and fill in the blanks. A lot of times, for me, this happens when I'm trying to go to sleep at night. And all of a sudden, my mind starts stirring about, oh my gosh, what are we doing about a building? What are we doing? We got all stuff in the house, our, our personal finances, all this stuff. Why isn't this doing? Maybe I should have done this instead of and all this anxiety. And I do two things. One has to do with this, one is, doesn't. One, one thing I do is, instead of saying, God, I'm so stressed out about, I start to say, God, I'm so excited about. And for whatever reason, that flips a switch in my head. That pent-up energy that leads to anxiety, and so, not, God, I'm, I'm so ex- nervous about the church building. Instead, I'm going, God, I'm so excited to see what you do. Because I have no idea what you're going to do but I'm so excited to see it. It shifts things for me. But the second thing I do is, God, thank you. God, thank you. Thank you that I have hands. Thank you that I have eyes. You're like, what's the big deal? If you didn't have them, you'd be thankful for them. Jane Kenyon uh, is a poet. Uh, Her husband was diagnosed with cancer about 10 years ago. She wrote this poem. It's called Otherwise. I'll I'll read it to you. It isn't long. But she found out her husband was diagnosed with cancer, terminal, and he didn't have much longer to live. And so she wrote this poem to remember that she wouldn't have these moments much longer with him. And it says this, it says, I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, and a ripe peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birchwood. All morning I did the work I love. At noon I laid down with my mate. It may have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a room with paintings on the walls and planned another day just like this day. But one day I know it will be otherwise. Interesting thing about Jane is she wrote that poem to guide her heart. What ended up happening, she didn't know that within a year, she would actually be the first to die suddenly in an accident. She was writing that for herself as much as for her husband. See, when we realize that everything on this side of eternity is temporary, we value it more. So here's what I challenge you to do. Do a little exercise together before we close here. I want you to think about something pretty normal in your life. Nothing extravagant, just something pretty normal in your life. Your car, right? Maybe you have a gift like you can sing or you can dance or you can organize things or whatever. A gift you have or maybe you think of an appendage, I like to do this exercise with like appendages. I know it sounds weird, but it's like my right arm. This will make sense in a second. Take some pretty normal. Maybe a person in your life, your spouse, your child, your parents. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your car. But I want you to think about that one thing, pretty normal in your life, pretty typical daily in your life. And I want you to think about losing it. You wake up tomorrow, spouse is gone. Don't know what happened. We'll have time to get into it. They're just gone. You wake up tomorrow, you don't have a car anymore. Wake up tomorrow and you no longer, in my case, you don't have a right arm. It's gone. Right? You don't have a job anymore. That thing that you've always been good at, and what's the big deal? Everyone's good at this. But you're no longer good at it anymore. You no longer can't do it anymore. I want you to sit there for a second and feel the loss of that. 
And then I want you to give it back to yourself. Magically, your arm reappears. You get your car back. Your mind is clear again. And you can use your giftings again. Your spouse comes back. Your child comes back. See, when you do that, what happens? It's intuitive. We all do it naturally. What happens is you begin thanking God for what you already have. You don't thank God for, I'll be happy if this thing over here. No, no, no. You begin to thank God for what you already have. Thank you, God, for busyness because it means I have a job. God, thank you that I'm stuck in, stuck in traffic on the five because it means I have some place to go. And I came from someplace and I have a car that'll get me there. God, I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful even for the clutter because it means that there's people that I love that are a part of it. God, I'm thankful that I get to be part of a small church so we get to help launch something from nothing. See, this is our prayer. Psalm 103, the psalmist says, let all that I am, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. May I never forget the good things he does for me. My life is full of good things. Full of it. So is yours. Full to the brim, overflowing with good things. Happiness isn't just around the corner. It's in here. I am blessed. You're blessed. I have enough. You have enough. I am enough. You are enough. Just as you are. As we close, I want to remind you of the three key statements from today. One, my life is full of good things. Some of you guys need to tell it to yourself often. My life is full of good things. Is it full of struggle? Yeah. It's full of pain and hurt and loss? Yeah. But my life is also full of good things. Two, I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. Just won't let it happen. I have so much good stuff. I'm not going to let what I want rob me of what I have. I can enjoy what I have and also dream for more, but I don't need more. I have enough. My life is full of good things. I will not let my, what I want rob me of what I have. And lastly, I will turn every blessing I have into praise. I will turn every blessing I have into praise because I will not let it turn into pride. Amen? Let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll uh, sing this one last song together. We do something special, and then we'll dismiss. All right, God, we just thank you. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you that you bless us so much over and over and over again, and so many times we just keep walking forward and rarely even just turn around and say thank you. God, would you help us have the space and the perspective to just sit in our blessings, to be overwhelmed with how much you bless us, how much we have to be thankful for, that there's so many people around this world that would do anything to trade places with us. We're so blessed. Would you help us to bless others? We love you, Lord God. In Jesus' name.